everybody. I am Mark Braven. I'm the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services for Kinexus. I want to welcome you to episode 13 of our Ask Us Anything series. I'm joined today by our co-founder and CEO, Dr. Greg Jacobson. Hey, Greg. Hey, good afternoon, Mark. So we've got a bunch of questions today, and uh, we'll thank everybody for sending those in. Uh, we're going to start off, jump right in. Uh, a question from David. How can you implement Lean without scaring people with change in Japanese concepts and language? So there's, I think there's a couple questions within the question there. How can we, let me talk first about without scaring people with change. I mean, I think there's a really interesting kind of understanding of, of people that comes from uh, psychologists and people who look at brain science. Uh, it is in our human nature. Our amygdala, exactly. I don't know, Greg, you're the doctor. If I'm pointing out, forget exactly where the all that many years ago. Where the amygdala is, uh, but our quote-unquote reptile brain is the part of our brain that we all have that that kicks in the fight or flight reaction when posed with changes, even when the change is positive. And so I think instead of lecturing people um, to not be afraid of change, that that's sort of like saying don't be human. Um, but I think the most proven approach is uh, to make change small and right. to engage people. I interviewed, I did a podcast once with uh, a psychologist, Robert Moore from UCLA, and, and he's written a couple of books about Kaizen and the brain, is that when you make change small, it doesn't trigger that fight or flight instinct and that reaction. And so when, when you engage people and they become more comfortable with change over time, there, there's a really good strategy there for Kaizen and continuous improvement to be that entree into Lean. Well, Greg, what, what, what are some of your thoughts on that? I think we're, we're living in a really exciting time also because we're starting to understand some of the neurobehavioral science that explains a lot of the principles, you know, kind of almost empirically lean principles and, and lean thought process over the last 70 years has come to some conclusions of what works and what doesn't. And now the science is starting to catch up with things like functional MRI. Um, you know, Mark Jabin, not to be confused with Mark Raven, J-A-B-E-N, um, has just put out, and, and Mark, you may, you may know the, the title of the book, but has just put out a, a really good body of work that kind of starts talking a lot about that and, and really applying it to continuous improvement. So I think we're kind of living in a really exciting time to understand that, we empirically have known, right, um, and, and you'll remember the person that quotes this, you know, people aren't uh, afraid of change, they're afraid of, of being changed, right? right? So there was a, a great, uh, I took a poli-sci class in college, and it was called political discourse, and yeah. um, it, one, of the, one of the themes of the class is that and people will change in front of you if you accept who they are, right? So... Um, it's that, that concept of, of going to someone and saying, oh, we're going to change this process or going to them and asking, hey, how, how can we change this process together to make this easier for you to do your work? And all of a sudden, that's an engaging conversation. Right. People. Um, and and, and one, one concept that, that we didn't touch about is the language, and, and, then, and then I'll kind of shut up for, for your thoughts, Mark, but I'm... I'm a real big fan of not using any Japanese terms. In fact, for a couple of years ago, for I mean, I was almost this close to changing the name of the company Kinexus because it referenced the word Kaizen. 
that's how fanatical I am about this. Until this just becomes natural language and kind of demystifying this entire thing, it's almost like when you're talking to a doctor and they're using medical terms right. about what condition you have, it, it completely alienates the conversation. So I think the, the less you can use terminology that isn't a part of our everyday uh, vernacular, the, the better you're going to do at demystifying this whole process. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we shouldn't let words or terminology become a barrier. The same thing could be said about the word lean. If, if people hear the word lean, um, it's, not, it's not the best word um, for, for something that's very positive and engaging. Uh, something, you know, when people hear lean, I've heard people in, in organizations say uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, oh, we're already lean, we don't have enough staff as it is. Right. Like, well, that, that might be one use of the, you know, the everyday use of the word lean, not having enough scarcity shortages. That's not what lean manufacturing or lean healthcare was supposed to be. So if the word lean is getting in the way, then I would avoid that word. Um, I, I try not overdoing it with Japanese words. I, I do use the word kaizen. Uh, you, you could say continuous improvement. I think introducing people to the word allows you to have a conversation about the concept right. of Kaizen and how Kaizen is different than suggestion boxes and in other approaches. That's one benefit. But I, you know, I, I, I say waste instead of muda. Um, there, there are some Japanese terms that I hear where I have to go run to a glossary or do a Google search. Um, I only know uh, a handful of, of Japanese terms, and I, I think there's a risk or sometimes people use the Japanese words to, uh, to sort of say, well, look, I know more about this than you, which can be, um, instead of demystifying, it sort of creates um, some barriers possibly to, to engaging people and improving. And that's, that, I think, is this, I don't want to say it's always manifesting out of insecurity, because it's not always insecurity that, that people will do that, but it's that we're trying to, become more professional and establish a, a authority by being able to use terminology that another person can't. I mean, it's what, it's what medicine did um, in, in the 1800s because, I mean, a lot of the medicine, they, they were looked at as quacks. And so, oh, well, let's, let's create an entire vernacular on this that, that shows that we're professionals. And so um, I think if we're going to take this to the common people, we need to use common language. And, and right. every time you can not use a Japanese word, do that. Right. So the next time a doctor tells a patient to take that medication, PRN, we'd say, right. well, wait, why not just say as needed, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so we've got another question here from Roland. Um, and I'm kind of, we'll, we'll speculate a little bit of uh, the question behind the question, but th this was submitted. Uh, when will management realize that the employee on the front line is closest to the issue and, and the concerns, and usually has the best ideas. So I, I sense a little frustration in the way the question is, is worded, maybe perhaps about their organization. Um, I, you know, I think there's a, there's a general approach here. Can, can we, are we going to um, help management understand this by telling them? Uh, maybe not. How do we help management discover that people at the front line have a ideas? A big club going in with a big club banging them on the head? No. Yeah, so I mean, can we? How, I, so I mean, I, Greg, I mean, what are your thoughts? You know, how would you create an opportunity for someone to come out and um, discover what staff 
what their ideas are. I mean, I don't know how you, how you can't tell a leader to be humble. I, I'm not sure how you create that experience for that to happen. There was almost a part of me when I read the question that I thought perhaps is this kind of a rhetorical ingest question, but. They might have very well been talking about their organization and I'm not going to ask or say where they're from, but. But I, I think that's to me, a general problem. Because I, I think that the the folks that are are listening in to, to to this discussion, they're CI experts. I don't I don't imagine people that that aren't CI experts are listening in. And so I mean, this is directed right at, at CI people. What I'm about to say, and it is absolutely critical for us to to be the the champions, to be the um, is sitting on um, the, the the front edge of of really selling these concepts to an organization. So every organization is going to be at a different place, so to speak, in their journey. Some of those people are several years along in their journey, and they understand where they're at. They understand where they're going. Along their journey, they're completely lost. Other people, and other people don't even know that there is a journey to be to be made. And so, as a CI expert in an organization, you found yourself in an organization that has valued this in some way. It's your job to figure out what's the need of your organization and then meet that need. And that, that need may be to go to leaders and sell CI, right? And, and, and really, if you think about the best kinds of sales people, it's, it's, it's what our sales model is based on here at Kinexus, is, is really listening, mm -hmm. figuring out the need, and then figuring out what is you you have this really large vast amount of knowledge and, and going in and, and saying well, we're going to start on page one of the of the ci encyclopedia and read it to a, a leader is the absolute wrong way to go about this right you have this whole toolkit if you will going engaging listening to the problems of your leadership and then figuring out how to help solve those problems by the way when you go through that journey when they start walking next to you you will end up teaching them and they will end up realizing, but it's going to be the Socratic method in many ways. It's not going to be a, a, a teacher standing at the front of a class and kind of force feeding this into leadership. Um, they're going to need to, um, to kind of be part of that process. And in order to do that, you're going to need to go in and help solve their problems. Yeah. And I, mean, I think this ties back to the first question a little bit about scaring people. How can we get middle managers or executives trusting the frontline employees when that might be scary to them. That may really go against the grain of what they were taught or what they've been practicing as a leader for, uh, for decades. So maybe it takes some baby steps, understanding their concerns. How can you uh, expose people to situations that maybe allow them to, to disprove some of those concerns? But I mean, I think this idea of selling is tough because if you've got somebody who's not even in the market, for what it is you're trying to sell, that becomes uh, really frustrating if you're trying to sell this right. idea. And so then, then it becomes a matter of marketing, right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, marketing almost, if you had to put it in a linear way, and it's not linear, but if you had to put it in a linear way, marketing comes before selling. And so right. kind of being able to market your services, being able to have people understand what value your and your team brings to the organization um, are going to be are going to be critical. But waiting around for something to happen is, uh, I think, a, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and, and then when you think about marketing, um, 
you can think of uh, you know testimonials, right? So I'm working with an organization right now um, that's hopefully going to become a Kinexus customer, and and they are they're having these conversations about um, helping their leaders understand. So when you can show a video of a leader from another organization speaking about their own uh, initial skepticism and and how they came to see um, very tangibly, not theoretically, but for real, that their employees do have great ideas and a lot to contribute. Um, there, there's sort of that, uh, that, that bandwagon effect. So seeing an expert testimonial of somebody who's like them, that, that goes a long way. And you see that technique used in a lot of different types of advertising. Great question. All right, so we have another question here from Tanya. And, and I'm going to punt on this question because I, I don't have any kids. But this question came in, are there any tips on Lean and Kaizen as applied to parenting? Well, sort of punting on this, Mark, but I, I will tell you, I was never a better parent than when I didn't have children. You know, my wife, Adrian and I would always, we, we joke now because when we didn't have children, we, we saw our friends, which are, oh, we'll never do that when we're a parent. Um, and then, of course, when you actually become a parent, everything changes. But one, for one, that's it, a great question. I'm going to, I'm going to, I was thinking through these questions. I'm going to take it in two parts. So part number one is from an email that I just got from, from my good friend, Colby Evans, a local dermatologist here in Austin, who is in Japan right now. And he is. Toyota factory tour, um, and obviously oh, you, cut, you cut out a little bit. He was on a Toyota factory tour. Yes, he took his children um, to Toyota for wow. a factory tour of Toyota, and he obviously he, he knows about Aline and Kaizen Kinexus um, from his relationship with me, and so he he I'm sure sought that out as as part of that. But um, that's a great way, right? Just to simply expose your your children in in more formal ways to think of it. Um, the, the, the second part to this question, I think, is, is taking kind of that, that, that mindset and that, that social, that science behind um, humanity, um, which, which we, we talk a lot. There's several books on the subject right now about a growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the, the improvement principles are, are based in a um, backdrop and an environment Right, it's it's is the company a stagnant um, entity that is the same over uh, decades, or is as a company an ever-evolving organism that that's growing and adapting and, and becoming better? And so, if you think that's really what growth mindset's all about, right? And so, right. when I'm when I'm talking to 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 my daughter Micah, who's now six, going into the first grade, I'm talking about her. Um, she actually has some homework um, in kindergarten, not was an onerous or anything, but I'm talking to her about doing her her homework. I'm talking about her trying to learn how to read. I'm talking about her. They they have all these computer programs. They're fascinating math programs and and reading programs that are highly engaging to children. That that's actually um, work to help make the brain stronger, right? Mm -hmm. And and do that a, a little bit every day because that's how you build muscles. And there's this great. Um, there's this whole great video series, and I'm blanking on it because I was up till 4:30 in the morning last night at an ER shift and um, didn't get much sleep. It's called uh, Mojo. Uh, Mojo um, has a great if you, if you type in Mojo um, Growth Mindset, all these children's videos, and it and it it shows 
I think some of the under, like really core principles of when we're talking about continuous improvement and we're talking about lean principles, if you really keep peeling back the layers and layers and layers, you're really talking about a company having a growth mindset. And I think teaching that to your children from day one about why are they doing homework, why are they going to school, it's not to learn facts, right? right. That's not, it's to make the brain stronger because we don't know what problems they're going to be solving in five years, in 20 years, certainly not in 50 years. And they don't need a whole bunch of facts in their head. They need a really strong muscle, which is their brain, to help work on those problems. And so, yeah. Right? I mean, your, your children are essentially, you have this, you know, lifelong experiment that you're working on that you have no way to, to run multiple experiments on. So you've got to kind of kind of break it up into to little parts and, and figure out what works. And, and I think that those are some principles I've been instilling in Micah from day one, and uh, hopefully they they work. Yeah. I, I just looked up, there's an article, and you talk about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Um, this is from The Atlantic in, in 2015, um, saying uh, that, that you shouldn't praise kids for being smart. Right. That, um, smart kids then... Once they get that label, they become really, as it says here, averse to making mistakes. Right. They say, well, I'll make mistakes, and I guess I'm not smart. Um, we, we learn by making mistakes. And um, so, you know, you can, it's better to, to label kids as being, um, you know, creative or, or hardworking or things other than smart. And, and whenever, whenever she's doing work, it's always, oh, and, and, and this isn't something that I came up with. And this is, this is you know stuff I'm reading and realizing. Oh, that makes total sense. Oh, Micah, you, I'm really proud of you. You worked really hard on that and um, did really good work. And that's a whole different message than oh, Micah, you are so smart. Yeah. And um, and the Mojo series literally walks through that in a message that a child can understand. Quite frankly, it, it's great for adults as well. Yeah, and I think there are parallels, I and mean, I'll bring it back to the workplace. If if somebody is participating in continuous improvement, um, I, I you know I, to me continuous improvement is not a function of quote unquote intelligence. If you're going to measure that by IQ or education level, which may or may not be the same thing, but um, to me, you know, being an expert in your own work is is something everybody has. I think everybody has. Um, innate creativity. They might not label themselves a creative person, uh, but people have the ability, back to the second question, they have the ability to point out problems, see barriers, and help brainstorm and test solutions, uh, as opposed to that being just an activity for, for those who are smart. Great question. All right, so we have another question here. Um, we, we could probably talk 30 minutes on that last topic, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> Well, the point I was going to make, again, as a non-parent, I love it when I see people share stories of using Kaizen and continuous improvement or lean principles at home to help get their family off to work and school on time in the morning. You know, they are being creative and solving problems that, that matter to them, which is probably a, a good thing to demonstrate and, and practice in the home. So another question here, we're interested in Kinexus but we're still trying to figure out if it's best to start with a physical board for the team and then use Kinexus for tracking and sharing, or should we do everything in Kinexus, I'm assuming to start, or 
Uh, and generally, maybe there's two questions there, starting manually and moving into a digital realm, and then the idea of doing everything digitally versus doing some things analog, manually, physically with a local team and using electronic means for, for broad sharing. Do, do you want to touch on that first, Greg? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, to me, the answer is yes. Because <laughs> there isn't a single answer that's going to answer this question, right? And so we have literally seen there's there's a there's a saying in medicine, and as I'm sure everyone realizes here, I'm I'm an ER doctor, and I love bringing medical um, knowledge into the process improvement world, and I love bringing the process improvement knowledge into the medical world, right? It's the foundation of of Kinexus, but um, there's a saying in medicine that says, you know, a hundred different presentations for appendicitis will present a hundred different ways, and so we literally there are patterns that we see at organizations, but there are different work environments, physically, electronically. Um, there are different skill sets. There are, uh, um, levels of access to simply a computer or a smartphone. And so um, the the way I would answer this is is you certainly shouldn't. Says, I mean, we, we talk to people, oh, te technology is, there's no role for technology, right? Oh, you, you have to do this on paper first. Well, that, that's, not, that's not right. I mean, uh, uh, and then also taking the other, the other situation, like, oh, no, you, you should definitely scrap all the paper and all the bulletin boards and go 100% time. Well, that's not right either. So I think you need to figure out what's the problem you're trying to solve. What are the main barriers? What's the, what are, how can we make it easier for the organization to do that? What I think you'll end up finding is that, there's probably going to be a slight variation difference to all of this. And I think that some places are going to do really well by using Kinexus more as a tracking mechanism. Other places are going to do really well by using Kinexus as an engagement mechanism and to actually get the work done. And I think the, the most important thing is, is if you're thinking of technology as an accelerator, mm -hmm. then I think you're thinking of it as the right way. If you're thinking of technology as it's actually going to be the sil magic silver bullet, then I think you're setting yourself up for failure. I don't know, Mark, if you want to add to that. Yeah, I mean, the, the way, I mean, I, I would answer that question, it's classic um, lean answer or Six Sigma answer to say, well, it depends. It depends on the scenario. Um, if people are going to more readily take to their iPhone and a web browser as a way of engaging with the organization and with each other, then that's great. If uh, people are a little skeptical of technology and you think paper and, and cards on, on a board is the way to start, then I would say it's better to start with something than not start at all. But then to the question of what problem are you trying to solve, I've seen organizations that say bulletin boards might work fine within a local team, but we've got multiple sites across the state, across the country, around the world, you know, one of the problems our customers are trying to solve is visibility that can't take place when you're um, separated by distance, separated by time. So there, there's, I, I think there's no better solution for spreading and sharing improvement. There's no better solution for um, remote collaboration across different sites. So um, there, there certainly are certain problems that uh, are solved through uh, through technology, and, and Kinexus is you know, happy to work with people on that. So let's well, let's squeeze in a couple of more questions. Okay. Uh, here's another question: Is it necessary to make improvement mandatory to set a goal for how many 
projects people should be in, involved in. It seems like people won't participate unless we make it mandatory. So um, all, all these questions today actually I think have a couple of questions within the question. Um, for one, I think it, yeah, I, I, I would, for one, I wouldn't call these projects. If we're trying to get people involved in improvement, calling something a project is going to sound like a big change that may trigger the amygdala, and, and people might say, I don't have any big ideas, I don't have time to participate in a big project. So I, I would use a term like improvements. How many improvements should people be involved in? So I, I've worked with and studied a lot of organizations that have set goals or haven't set goals. They've, they've had aspirational goals. We'd like you to do two improvements every year. Some organizations will set kind of a quota or a target saying you must do X in a year. And sometimes targets and goals and incentives can get dysfunctional. To, to me, the real spirit of continuous improvement is self-motivated. It's something that we want to do because it makes our work easier, because it helps our patients or our customers. It helps the long-term good of the organization. So I, to me, the thing that drives improvement activity is the, is the variable of leadership. Activity, behaviors, level of effort. Um, this is not about being smart with improvement. It's about working hard at improvement and, and continuing to do that. So I've seen organizations without goals, targets, incentives do extremely well with continuous improvement, and, and it comes down to, again, that, that variable of leadership, how do we engage people? And I think Daniel Pink's book, Drive, really breaks down the behavioral science here really well. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would argue that, that CI experts should probably be, in, in their professional reading, 50% of what they read should not be about lean. 50% of what they read should be about behavioral science. This is a this yeah. is 100% about humans and how to motivate humans and how humans work together. And so um, if you haven't read it, you should literally, as, as soon as you're done with this webinar, um, go pick it up uh, physically or electronically and start reading it. You will understand more about yourself. You'll understand more about the, the um, your interpersonal relations. You'll understand more about your colleagues at work. And, and, and uh, I think it uh, speaks a lot to this specific topic. There are certain places and times when quotas are the right way to motivate people. Continuous improvement is not one of those places. And, and because of, and you hit it on it, Mark, because of the dysfunction that it brings. If you say you have to do an improvement a year, two improvements a year, one a month, then all of a sudden you're creating an environment that's gonna reward junk. And it's gonna reward the wrong thing. So we, we work with a number of organizations that have done both. And we work with a number of organizations that have flip-flopped between them as well, and it's been really interesting to see the result. But one organization we're working with that initially had a um, quota of, of one or, or two improvements per month, so they had this just volume of, um, of improvement, and that, that was it. They said, okay, we're not going to do a quota anymore. We're going to, to kind of move more to the Nino Pink incentive um, in, in, um, internal, what's the word I'm looking for? External, internal motivation. Thank you. Internal motivation and um, intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic, and right. They realized, wow, we have a lot fewer ideas, but the quality of those ideas are actually creating much bigger impact in the organization. So I would definitely challenge you, if you're thinking of going down the quota um, route, then, then really think of it more as 
rewarding accomplishment. You know, use a badge system, recognize people, give small tokens of a Starbucks gift card. You talk about a lot, Mark, as a as a great as a great. Not that we're promoting Starbucks. It can be insert name of insert name of. But I think what you're going to end up realizing is it's going to feel better, and mm -hmm. it's going to. Um, drive greater and better impact for the organization, which is what this is all about. Yeah, that's well said. And, and one other point I'll make is that that goal, that target, sometimes becomes a limit. We want you to do four per year, and people do their four, and they say, well, I've got another six ideas, but I better hold them in my back pocket because I don't know if I can come up with four ideas next year. They might ask for six next year. So sometimes that leads to people holding back, which is not the intent. Great point. So um, we might run a minute long, but Greg, here is a, a more Kinexus-specific question from Julia. Um, for a large organization, um, how does the system work to give access to each employee, and is it possible to link um, Kinexus with other systems? I'll, I'll let you address that. So the, the first question, I'll tongue-in-cheek answer, it works really, really well. Um, no, in earnest, I think that you can divide the kind of work your organization is going to need to do to develop a culture of continuous improvement in a couple buckets, okay? Um, bucket number one, daily continuous improvement that's coming from frontline. I refer to it as bottom-up improvement, right? Bucket number two, top-down, what people refer to as project-based, larger change, multidisciplinary whether that takes the form of lean projects, Kaizen events, value stream maps, you now have alignment work that needs to kind of make sure that your top-down and your bottom-up work are working synergistically together, you're moving in the same direction, you're going to need your data, and, um, and then finally, um, we find it really, really important to be coaching slash training your staff with problem-solving skills. So whether you're tracking your certifications or whether you're, you're tracking your classes in Kinexus as well. So those so depending on what problem you're trying to solve, and every organization might be working at a different part of that equation, will determine whether or not you need to give all or some of your employees access. If you're trying to do frontline daily improvement, which to me is the holy grail of developing a culture of continuous improvement, then it is best to give everyone access to kind access. There's no reason to, to ask someone to go play football but say, well, you can only you know, look at the football. You can't actually touch the football. Right. And and if you're if you're really focusing on, on on training classes, well then the people that you're training to do A threes or whatnot, give those people access to Kinexus because giving people access to Kinexus without the right resources behind it, without an understanding of what are we trying to do in the system, uh -huh. is also another route for failure. So yeah. um, we have organizations that are doing all of those, and we're happy to kind of help figure out. What problem is your organization trying to solve? Where are you trying to get to? Where are you at in your journey? And then figuring out kind of the right level of access and who needs to be on the system and who doesn't need to be on the system. Yeah. And, and um, Julie, if you'd like to follow up, um, we encourage you to reach out um, to Kinexus or you, you can contact Greg at Kinexus.com. Um, Greg would be happy, I'm sure, to um, talk with you more or refer you to somebody on our um, growing team at Kinexus. So, that's been great, uh, great to see. Um, I've been involved with um, Kinexus now for six years. It was uh, about six weeks and six years and two weeks ago that um, that I became part of uh, uh, the Kinexus team. So uh, it's really been great to see the progress um, and uh, more to come. 
Yeah, absolutely. We excitingly just added two new people to the team. Our, our, it's, it's really exciting, and it's going to be a lot of fun to get all of our team together engaging with our customers at our user conference. So I will put a plug in for that. It's a great time if you're a Kinexus customer. We do sometimes have some prospective customers there too, but the vast majority of people that are there are Kinexus customers are sharing their knowledge or sharing how they're using Kinexus. They're figuring out what works, what doesn't work. And um, it, it's like a um, complete energy for, for us at the team to, to get to see it's everybody. So, I'm sorry? It's, it's very invigorating to, to very customers. And so um, you, you can learn more about that. Just do a Google search for um, Kinexus user conference would be a great way to learn about that. So uh, we are out of time. We are going to do episode 14, probably in a month or two. We'll send out info about that. Uh, we will start off next time. We had a question uh, from Mac about how to bring back an engaged atmosphere once you've made progress, but then that culture is maybe sort of uh, faded or, or trailed off a bit. So that'll be a great question to start with next time. I would encourage you, uh, please go ahead and submit more questions for future episodes, and uh, we look forward to doing more of these. So on behalf of Greg Jacobson and the team uh, here at Kinexus, I'm Mark Raven. Thanks for joining us. Greg, do you have any uh, final thought to end with here? There's no better day than today to, to spread continuous improvement, so best of luck, everyone.